know when you got out of your car this morning and you walked up the steps through the foyer into this worship center or you walk down the street, then up the steps and through that little hallway into the worship center on our Liberty Hill campus. When you made the decision to come into this room, I just want you to know that God knew that you'd be here today. And that in knowing you'd be here today, he planned before you ever realized what today would be like to meet with you and to speak with you. And I'm really, really excited and grateful that we've gathered together to hear from the Lord. So let's tune our ears to him and let, let's listen to what he has to say through his word. When I was in my late teens... Um, I was hanging out in my bedroom at my house and my best friend was hanging out with me and we were making plans as to what we would do the rest of the day and I needed to make a phone call and so I picked up the phone off the receiver. Most everyone knows what I'm talking about. I picked up the phone off the receiver and dialed a number and uh, I was talking on the phone and while I was talking on the phone distracted from my friend my, this is my very best friend in the world he goes over starts digging around in my closet looking for stuff to mess with and in the back corner of my closet he finds uh, my shotgun that uh, you know I'd use for, for bird hunting and things like that so he finds my shotgun back in the corner and he pulls it out, and he's just looking. It's a pump shotgun, and so he's just looking at it, messing around with it. He cycles it through, realizes there's not a bullet in the chamber or anything like that. And, and so he's just messing around, pointing it around the room while I'm on the phone. He, and certainly, this is a terrible decision. He points it at me, and just messing around. I'm like, quit pointing that gun at me. And uh, so I'm back on the phone, and he points it at me, and he is about to click the trigger while it's pointing at my head. And he decides at the last second to point the gun up to the ceiling, pulls the trigger, and the gun goes off and shoots a hole in the ceiling through the roof. Now just imagine what two teenage boys would be feeling in that moment. We, we literally could not speak. The emotion was overwhelming. Tears were filling our eyes, and we both looked at each other and said, can you imagine the story that would have happened had you not made the decision to point that gun somewhere else? And I'm certain that neither one of us will ever forget that moment again. Every decision, even split-second decisions, matter. Every decision matters. Now the reason I tell you that story is because every decision matters. 
And I'd like to share with you a story from God's Word that I believe should shape every decision you will ever make. So let's look at Joshua chapter 14. And we're going to read through Joshua 14 in its entirety. As an introduction to Joshua 14, I want to read to you two verses out of Joshua 13. Because these two verses out of Joshua 13 point towards the first part of Joshua 14. And so we're going to start reading Joshua chapter 13, verse 14. He did not, however, give any inheritance to the tribe of Levi. This was their inheritance, just as he promised the offerings made by fire to the Lord, the God of Israel. Remember, chapter 13 was our first chapter where we started doing all the details of the allotment of the land to Israel. And there's this statement in chapter 13, verse 14, that the tribe of Levi didn't get any land. And we get a clue as to why. Now look at verse 33. Chapter 13, verse 33. But Moses did not give a portion to the tribe of Levi. The Lord, the God of Israel, was their inheritance, just as he promised them. God made a promise to Levi. And to the tribe of Levi, God promised that he would be their inheritance. So we've read in chapter 13 about all the land being about, how important it is that the land was received according to promise, but then the tribe of Levi receives no land, but that is also the promise of God. Now let's read chapter 14, and let's read scene 1, verses 1 through 5. The Israelites received these portions that the priest Eleazar... Joshua, son of Nun, and the family heads of the Israelite tribes gave them in the land of Canaan. Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord commanded through Moses, for the nine and a half tribes, because Moses had given the inheritance to the two and a half tribes beyond the Jordan. But he gave no inheritance among them to the Levites. The descendants of Joseph became two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. No portion of the land was given to the Levites except the cities to live in, along with pasture lands for their cattle and livestock. So the Israelites did as the Lord commanded Moses, and they divided the land. I want you to take note of a few things. First of all, the priests... And the leader of Israel, Joshua, and the heads of the households of the 12 tribes of Israel are responsible for giving out the land to all of the 12 tribes of Israel. So here's the picture. The picture, you have the priests combined with the leader of the nation along with individual heads of the household of each tribe allotting the land to the 12 tribes. 
Now they're allotting the land on the basis of lots being cast before the Lord, and the decision of the lots cast before the Lord are the land, is the land that the people get. And so it's like having a big hat with a bunch of pieces of paper in it that describe each portion of the land that's to be given to some tribe. And they get there and they line up and they're going to give out the land and they draw a portion of land out of the hat that is then assigned by order to a tribe. And so the lots have been cast and the land is determined by lot. And the lots that people draw are determining the land they receive. That's how they're doing it. I think it's really interesting that later in Israel's history, when King Solomon is thinking back over all that God has done, that King Solomon in Proverbs, the wisest man on the face of the earth outside of Jesus Christ, looks back over all that history and in Proverbs 16.33 Solomon says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. When Solomon looked back over all that had happened, he has the benefit of hindsight. And he could look back and see that though they were drawing out lots to determine land, that all of what happened in all of Israel's history would only come together the way it came together because the Lord is in control. He's in control. Every decision matters. And it is so good to know that God can be trusted in every decision because He's in control of everything. The lots were cast out and When the lots were cast out and those things were determined, we're told in chapter 14 that everybody was getting land except Levi, the tribe of Levi. We're given a little explainer here because we're told that Joseph became two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. Let's just do a little math together. Jacob has 12 sons. They are the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph is one of those sons. And the story in the scripture is that Jacob, the dad of the 12 sons, when he's reunited with Joseph in Egypt after Joseph was sold into slavery, he goes into Egypt and he rises to the second in command. And when famine comes on the land, Jacob and his 11 Kids and all their families make their way to Egypt to find food because of the famine. What they find is their long lost brother Joseph. And Joseph is the deliverer for God's people in the family of Jacob. And when Jacob is old and about to die, Jacob brings Joseph in to bless Joseph. You remember what Jacob did for Joseph when Joseph was a little kid? He made him the coat of many colors. You remember that? And when Jacob gave Joseph the coat of many colors, Joseph's brothers 
were jealous of Joseph. They didn't like him, and that's why they sold him into slavery. They actually wanted to kill him, but they instead sold him into slavery. And all these years, Jacob believed his son Joseph was dead. And then he discovers he wasn't dead, and at the end of his life, he wants to bless Joseph. And so he brings Joseph and his two boys that were born to Joseph when he was in Egypt. He brings them in, and he says, I want to bless your boys. And he takes Manasseh and Ephraim, and he's got them right before him. And Joseph has brought them in so that Manasseh would be right in front of Jacob's right hand, and Ephraim would be right in front of Jacob's left hand. He puts him before Jacob, and Jacob puts his hand, his right hand on Ephraim, and he puts his left hand on Manasseh. He crosses his arms. Joseph's like, wait a minute, Dad, your eyesight is really bad, and I want you to bless the firstborn with your right hand. And Jacob says, no, I know exactly what I'm doing. In this case, the firstborn is not going to be as significant as the secondborn. The firstborn is going to be more significant. The secondborn is going to be okay. You don't have to worry about it. They're both going to be great kids. But here's the thing. These two boys are mine. They're my boys. Just like your brother Reuben and your brother Simeon are my boys, these boys are mine. You can have the rest of your kids that you have in Egypt, but these two, they're going to receive an inheritance along with your other brothers. Do you realize what Jacob had done? The beginning of his life, he said to Joseph, I want to bless you. And life didn't go like Joseph had thought it would. And the end of his life, Joseph's life, he received a double portion of blessing from his dad. Because God is in control. And that's why we end up with 13 tribes. Not just 12, but 13. You've heard 12 tribes. And it's right, there are 12 tribes, but there's really 13 tribes. And so since there's 13 tribes, because Joseph has been split into two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh, you have a tribe, a 13th tribe, that's going to be left out of the allotment given to 12 tribes. It's all been about 12 tribes getting the allotment of land, and, but you've got 13 tribes. And so... What happens is that Levi is left out of the allotment of land. But here's the way God designs it. He says, Levi, you're not going to get land, but here's what you are going to get. You're going to get provision in the land. Because all the other 12 tribes with their land are going to create produce, and a portion of that produce is going to go to you. You're going to get a place to live. I'm going to put you in cities that belong to the people that the land has been allotted to, but they're going to provide you the cities in which you live. They're also going to protect you. Everything you need, tribe of Levi, to live in the land that doesn't belong to you is going to be provided for the people that I've given the land. And though you have no land, I have something far better for you. I'm going to give you everything you need. I'm going to provide you the protection you need. I'm going to give you a place to live. But in addition to all that, because you don't get the land, I want you to know you uniquely get me. And their inheritance was the Lord. Unlike any other 
inheritance. I mean, isn't that amazing that though they don't get land, they get all the benefits of being in the land provided by everybody who got land. And in addition to all of that, without all of the difficulty of owning the land, they get the benefits of the land and they get a special inheritance of the Lord himself. It just, it just makes sense that what we've been reading about is more than just about land. It's something far more significant. And consider the fact that a priest and the leader of the nation and the heads of households are giving out the land. I mean, does it escape your attention that Jesus Christ is our high priest? That Jesus Christ is the king of everything. And that Jesus Christ has told us that he is the head of the church. Could it be that this story is just really pointing towards something that's far more significant than just the land? Is it any mistake that Jesus Christ by his death and resurrection on the cross that He has made provision for every single person to experience an inheritance that is the Lord Himself. And He's done it as our High Priest, our King, our Leader, and the Head of the church, His family. That He's invited us to trust Him to receive an inheritance that's far more than land. It's in the New Testament that we're told in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9-10, through 10, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the One who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. God had in mind a single people, the church, who would be experiencing an inheritance that's even better than that of the Levites, that we would benefit from provision and protection and we not have the trappings, have to worry about the land we own, but we would actually get to know the Lord Himself. Think about what God has done through your faith in Jesus Christ. He says, you don't need to worry about where that next meal is coming from. You don't need to worry about the clothes that you wear because I've already taken care of all of that. All I need you to do is worry about seeking the kingdom of God before all of the things. And guess what you're going to find when you seek the kingdom of God before all of the things? That the kingdom has been delivered to you by the grace of Jesus Christ by way of his death and resurrection. You are my people. You were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. We have this amazing inheritance who is the Lord himself. But he has additionally promised us a land. One day Jesus Christ will return and he promises to take this earth and refashion it and remake it into a land of promise unlike we could ever imagine. He intends on taking the people whose inheritance is the Lord and putting them on that eternal land where every wrong will be made right. And all we will ever know is the perfection of the glory of God in relationship with God himself. This is far more than about land. This is about knowing the Lord and receiving eternal life.
Now, the people of God, they begin to do what God told them to do. They begin to allot the land, helping us see beyond the land to something better. And what's really interesting about the allotment of the land is what's happening when the land is allotted. I mean, think about Joshua standing before the people to allot the land to the people. What would that have been like? Scene 2, Joshua 14, starting in verse 6. The descendants of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord promised Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and about me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the Lord's servant, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to scout the land, and I brought back an honest report. My brothers who went with me caused the people to lose heart, but I followed the Lord my God completely. On that day, Moses swore to me, the land where you have set foot will be an inheritance for you and your descendants forever. Because you have followed the Lord my God completely. You have fully followed the Lord. As you see, the Lord has kept me alive these 45 years, as he promised, since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel was journeying in the wilderness. Here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was the day Moses sent me out. My strength for battle and for daily task is now as it was then. Now give me this hill country. The Lord promised me on that day because you heard then that the Anakim are there as well as large fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out as the Lord promised me. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, gave him Hebron as an inheritance. Therefore Hebron, still belongs to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, as an inheritance today because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, completely. Hebron's name used to be Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, the giants. After this, the land had rest from war. Joshua so far has been the primary example through all the book of Joshua about what it looks like to trust the Lord with every decision of life. To make the decision to live your life for the Lord and a promised land. To ultimately decide every subsequent decision of my life will be made under the ultimate decision. I'm following the Lord and I'm living for the land of promise. Joshua has been our primary example until this moment when Caleb steps into the limelight. Judah is up first in the nine and a half tribes to inherit the land. And who steps forward as the head of the household of Judah? But Caleb. 
85-year-old Caleb. He steps up there. Can you see it in your mind's eye? Steps to the front. Judah's ready to get their allotment. Caleb says, I'm coming to the front. I want my land. And let me tell you about it. I may be 85 years old, but I'm still able to take it. And you 40-year-old, you 30-year-old, you 20-year-olds, I'll take any one of you out. Let's go right now. I still got it going on. I'm 85, but I'll tell you this. The Lord will be with me, and if he will be with me, I'll still take the land. The Lord's given it to us. We may not have possessed it. I'm going to go possess it because the Lord is with me. I may be 85, but I'm going to get it done. I mean, can you hear this guy coming to the front of the land and everybody hearing him say, yeah, that's right. We're with you, Caleb. I'm excited. I mean, you can feel it in the air, the excitement, the thrill. This 85-year-old is about it as much as he's ever been about it, and there's nobody like him in all of Israel but he and Joshua. Unbelievable. I mean, the people of Israel don't have a lot of choices for models, mentors, and examples. But if that's all you got, I'm pretty sure you're doing all right. I mean, how amazing would it be to be 40 and 30, 20, 15 years old and see 85-year-old Caleb come to the front of the line and say, I'm as ready as I've ever been to get it done for the glory of God. Don't you know that changed the feeling that moment, that day? I read about Caleb and I think, I want to be like that guy. When I get old, I want to be like that guy. It's interesting how those things changes over the years. Well, I can remember when I was in my mid-20s. I encountered a preacher who was in his mid-60s. I thought he was ancient. I mean, when you're in your mid-20s and you're looking at a guy that's 40 years down the line from you, you think, that's really old. And I, in my mind's eye, I thought, this guy's got to be like 90. And I remember hearing him preach in his mid-60s with fire and passion unlike I had ever seen in anybody regardless of their age and I just thought to myself I want to be like that guy when I'm old and gray I decided this week to check him out see if he had anything online and sure enough he preached a sermon this last July and it was online he's in his he's almost in his 90s now and listening to him preach now is no less a display of passion than it was then. And I found myself thinking again, I want to be like that guy. But we all know there's the other that guy. And we all know the other that guy, right? I mean, Caleb could have been the other that guy. Caleb could have come to the front of the line and said, you know what? All you young'uns around here, I'm sick and tired of all of you. And, and really, here's the deal. All your parents were a bunch of losers. And because of your parents, my family had to live 
40 years in the wilderness and we never got to taste the milk and honey that should have been our family and it's all you people's fault. And so when I get my land, I'm going to establish clear boundaries and none of you are welcome into my land because I'm going to do my land the way I want to do my land and you people can just go do whatever you want. I'm finally getting what's mine. You ever known anybody 85 that's kind of like that guy? How many of you ever said in your mind or maybe you've had the courage or the safety to verbalize it out loud, I don't want to be like my parents? Anybody honest enough to admit having thought or said that? I think at some level all of us resonate with not wanting to be that guy or that woman. What, what, really, what really beats in our hearts is to be more like Caleb. I want to be as passionate. I want to be more passionate for the Lord Jesus Christ when I am 50, and 60, and 70, and 80 than I've ever been before. I want to come to the front of the line and say to those behind me, I am ready to follow the Lord. And because of the Lord's strength, in me, I will be able to get it done as if I was 20. I can do it. I will follow the Lord. I'm not, I'm not giving up. I'm not fading out. I'm not letting somebody younger do the job that God would want me to do. I want the passion for the glory of God to overflow out of my life and change the world around me. Don't you want to be like Caleb? That's so much more attractive. It means so much more. And it shapes decisions in a far better way. You, you know what made the difference for Caleb? This is what Moses says about Caleb. Caleb, you fully followed the Lord. That's why you're getting the land. Joshua says about Caleb, Caleb, you fully followed the Lord. That's why you're getting the land. Caleb said about himself, the reason I'm getting the land is because I fully followed the Lord. You, you want to know how to be as passionate and more passionate for the Lord the rest of your lives? You want to know how every decision gets shaped in a way that changes everybody around you? Listen, fully follow the Lord. You ever filled a cup to being full so that it runs over the brim and it's flowing over all over the counter? You know that picture in your mind of filling something up so it overflows and it just runs all over the counter that's Caleb's devotion to the Lord it was full and overflowing so that it touched everything around him you want to be passionate you want every decision to matter then you decide I will fully follow the Lord you know the city that Caleb was given was Hebron you notice who lived there? The 
the biggest, baddest enemy of all. There was more than just him. There were multiple ones. We're going to hear about it in chapter 15. Caleb goes in there and he wipes out all the Anakim in Hebron. You, you fully follow the Lord. Then every breath of the rest of the life God gives you. And may it be into your 80s, 90s, and 100s. Every breath of the life God gives you will be a Hebron story. And the stories that will be told about you will be stories of Hebron. And that is the life we all want. And that's the life that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again from the dead for all of us to live. You've got a decision to make today. We all have decisions to make today. The first decision that you have to make today is best communicated in Psalm 16, 5 and 6. Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. You've got to decide is the Lord enough? He's your inheritance. Is he enough? You've also got to decide if the land that he's bringing you is worth it. Because you cannot live in this land. And make decisions relative to this land and what you want in this land and find your way to that land. All you do when you make decisions about living in this land that only consider this land, this side of heaven, is you find yourself wandering in a wilderness. But if you will recalibrate your life to the eternal land that Jesus Christ is bringing and you say to yourself, Jesus is enough and that eternal land is worth everything, then you will find that you have made your way to knowing and walking with Jesus Christ. And that changes the way you make every single decision. Is the Lord enough? Is His land worth it? And will you decide to follow Him fully, simply by starting over again and again and again the rest of your Well, you just decide. Fully following the Lord means that whatever decisions I've made in the past that have created a complete mess, I can put before the Lord because He's trustworthy. And He will do something with all of those decisions. And if I will decide to fully follow Him today, on down the road of this life, I'm going to look back on that and I'm going to say... The Lord redeemed even me. Look at what Hebron became. Is the Lord enough? Is the land worth it? 
And will you trust him to keep starting over every day the rest of your life?